Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Join Hoda Kotb for a brand new season of her podcast, Making Space. For season five, I am making space to talk to people who are providing a sense of hope and inspiration when life changes course. Uplifting conversations with inspiring individuals like NFL legend Drew Brees, singer-songwriter Ziggy Marley, and today's show co-anchor Savannah Guthrie as you have never heard her before. I found faith more viscerally, not because the bad thing didn't happen, but because it did. I promise you, like me, will leave these conversations with some wisdom for your own journey, empowered and inspired to make space in your own life. New episodes of Making Space with Hoda Kotb are released every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com for weekly updates about my podcasts, events, and more. Also, follow me on Instagram at zibbyowens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And finally, join my virtual book club called Zibby's Virtual Book Club, which meets every other Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time until 3 p.m. and features half an hour of book club discussion, followed by 30 minutes of Q&A with the author whose book we've just discussed. You can sign up on my website, zibbyowens.com, under the virtual book club section, or even on Instagram under the link in my bio. I hope you'll find me in all these different channels and enjoy this podcast. Today's sponsor is my bookshop.org store and my Amazon store. I don't know if you guys even know that I have these, but you should check it out because I sell all the books that I've had on this podcast, so you can easily find them and buy them. The bookshop.org site is bookshop.org slash shop slash Zibby Owens. And the Amazon shop is amazon.com slash shop slash moms don't have time to read books. So I hope that you will check out my Amazon influencer store and my bookshop.org storefront. And the bookshop.org storefront also has all the books from my Zibby's virtual book club and some other suggested reads. So I hope you will check those both out and go shopping. Go buy some books from the podcast and support all these amazing authors. 
Ashley Audrain previously worked as the publicity director of Penguin Books Canada. Prior to Penguin, she worked in public relations. Ashley began writing her first novel, The Push, after leaving her job in 2015. Her novel was snapped up in a series of record-breaking deals around the world and has sold in over 34 territories. Recently, Heyday Television, the production company run by Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Marriage Story producer David Heyman, acquired the film and TV rights. Ashley will serve as an executive producer on the adaptation. The Push has received rave reviews from best-selling authors like Lisa Jewell, Kristen Hanna, and Amy Malloy all three of which, by the way, are also on this podcast. The page-turning intense drama discusses the expectations of motherhood that we are taught not to question, such as nature versus nurture and unconditional love. Welcome, Ashley. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you, Zibby. Thank you for having me. As I was telling you before we started recording, I am a huge fan of your podcast. I love it. I listen to it every day. You, I don't know how you do it, but the content you put out for us, for all of us listeners, we just appreciate it so much, especially during during these COVID days when you just need something to get through the day and you're always there. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for saying that. It really, really means a lot to hear, especially from an author who whose book I like so enjoyed to know that you were like out there listening to other interviews. It's awesome. <laughs> I have to start by just telling you a funny story that my son, so I listened to your podcast a lot in the car, like when we're driving to school and driving home from school. And my son, who's now five, I always, you know, he humors me and listens along with me all the time to your podcast. But he always, especially when he was a bit younger, he would hear your opening and he would say, mom, why is this lady saying you don't have time to read books? She's saying you can't read books. You don't have time. And it's just so funny. And I have to kind of, you know, trying to explain to him <laughs> what it means, but he was always very concerned about the title of your podcast and what that means for me. But I've assured him. I, so well, okay. maybe I should put a disclaimer <laughs> that, you know, it's just a joke. I read lots of books. I love reading books. <laughs> I have an almost almost six-year-old, but now he's still five. And the other day he was like in the corner and he was like holding up some like little toy and he's like, hi, I'm Zoe Owen from Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. <laughs> You're always listening. Yeah, always listening. Five is yeah. the cutest age, by the way. I'm like really sad that it's coming to an end, having lived through it now four times. Anyway, okay. Can we talk about your amazing book, The Push, which is alternately chilling and life-affirming and worrisome. And I just wanted to like run out and like find a therapist to like throw in the pages. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, now's when she needs a therapist. Wait, now she needs a child psychiatrist. Wait, now. Oh no. And then last night, literally like in some scenes, I'm like, I like have to close my eyes. Anyway, so the push. Tell listeners, please, what the push is about and what inspired you to write it. Sure. So the push is about a woman named Blythe Connor, and she comes from a history of women who have struggled deeply with motherhood in various ways. But she's quite determined that her experience is going to be different and that she's going to sort of be this warm, empathetic, present mother that she never had. And so she and her husband have their first child, a daughter, and her name is Violet. And at first, Blythe sort of goes through the various kind of typical early days of motherhood that we can all relate to, tired and sort of just overwhelmed. But then as Blythe sort of, or as Violet gets a bit older, she kind of starts to realize there's something wrong with Violet. There's something different about her. She's quite aloof and doesn't really express much emotion. She's not very attached to her mother. And as she gets a bit older, she starts to witness some behavior that she feels is 
malicious towards other children. But the problem, of course, is that her husband cannot see this. Nobody can see this. And she's really the only one who believes this about her daughter. And so they sort of try to move on and in their, in their marriage and have another baby, Sam, who's born shortly after. And in Sam, she sort of finds that, you know, connection that she had hoped to have as a mother with her child until something very tragic happens in the family. And they're all sort of forced to kind of face, you know, what has happened and who their daughter is and who Blythe herself is. And the rest of the novel is sort of looks at that unraveling of the family from there. And so that's, that's sort of what happens. <laughs> without giving I have to, to say, like... The whole time I was reading the book, I kept flashing back to your opening scene of the book, mm-hmm. which makes you wonder how did they arrive there, right? You have basically, I don't think I'm giving anything away because it's the opening yeah. scene, but you have like the mother in the car, like looking in right through the window and you, you're wondering why, like what is going on? How did she end up there? And as you go, you still don't know. Like, what is it? What, how is this happening? So it's almost suspense, but I, it's not a thriller. Like, how would you even describe? Because I don't, I don't view this as a thriller. It's more like a psychological drama of sorts. But yet there's this element, this big question mark hanging over it. Yeah, don't, it, I, yeah, it's interesting you say that because a lot of people have described it as a thriller and I didn't really set out to write a thriller or it wasn't kind of what I had intended. I think... I love, like a lot of us do, just a page-turning book, like something that you know you just want to find out not so much what happened, but sort of why. Like, why did that happen? Why have we got there? And it's funny, one of my editors described it as sort of emotional suspense, mm-hmm. which I thought was maybe a better description for it than thriller, because I think people who enjoy thrillers will hopefully enjoy this book because of the pace of it, but it's really more emotional suspense than anything. And it's really sort of more of a family drama, I think, than kind of a straight thriller where you're trying to figure out what happened. Happened. And you can definitely tell in the writing just how close to early childhood you are. <laughs> I mean, you can tell in some books, like, okay, you know, maybe this author has young children, maybe she doesn't. And, you know, with a galley, you never really know how old anybody is, right? Like, I'm not looking at the author photo, I don't have any context. I just always am like diving in. And in this book, I was like, this author definitely has had children recently. <laughs> Because you remember all of it. And it's like, I started finding myself wondering what your view on motherhood was, because there seems to be so much ambivalence on the part of the characters. Did you feel that way? And then I was thinking, if you didn't have any of these ambivalent feelings, how would you have put these characters together? And even just like the sort of inherited trauma of generation after generation of mothers who are disappointing their children. Tell me about where this is coming from for you. It's interesting. Yeah. So I started writing this book when my son was my first child. My son was six months old. And when he was born, he had some health challenges that we didn't know about. We didn't expect them. And so, you know, it sort of puts you in this situation where, you know, you're planning for a baby and you're planning, you know, you enjoy your pregnancy and you have this healthy pregnancy and you think everything will be fine. And then when he was two weeks old, we discovered it was not. And we were going to be spending a lot of time basically living in the children's hospital and trying to get him better and figure out how to manage the problems that he was having. And so that was, a, I mean, we know, we know how hard those early days of motherhood already were. And at two weeks old, you know, two weeks in to kind of have everything sort of completely changed and sort of flipped upside down was very challenging. You know, like I, I, I loved him and I loved, you know, I loved being his mother, but I didn't, I just didn't know, I guess I was learning kind of how to mother within the walls of a hospital and, you know, with like nurses helping you instead of, you know, your family members. And so it's, it was just, it was, it was very challenging, obviously, but it also just, yeah, it just, just 
just really made me think a lot in those days about those expectations of motherhood and that, you know, we really, society sort of teaches us to think that it's going to be a certain way and that we're going to feel a certain way and it's going to look a certain way. And then when it isn't, you know, you, it's very isolating. It's a very isolating experience. And you really do, don't feel like you can really relate to anybody. I remember sort of all my friends having babies at the same time, which, at, you know, which at first seemed like such a wonderful thing. And then when my experience ended up being just so different and so far from the experience they were having, it was hard. And so that, I think that's, that those were kind of just the things that I was sort of mulling over in those days. And then having sort of, you know, the very you know, the mind that I do is sort of kind of taking it a bit further and sort of wondering like, my gosh, like this was not my experience with my son, but what would happen if you, if, if it was even worse, if you didn't like your child or you couldn't feel like you loved your child or your child, you know, did something that you couldn't forgive, like what, like there are, you know, or you really regretted having that child, like what would that feel like? And so those were kind of the things I sort of started writing about. It was sort of, it was the, the stuff I was writing about was so much darker than what I was going through. I mean, I was going through a hard time. The stuff I was writing about was darker. And maybe that was a way of sort of <laughs> working through or coping with what kind of I was going through at the time. It's kind of just really just exploring that. And that and those were kind of the seeds of thinking that grew into sort of the character of Blythe and her daughter Violet and the story that became the push. And then and then for the, you know, when, once I started kind of exploring Blythe and figuring out who she was, you know, especially kind of through revisions, I sort of, I started to understand that I couldn't really understand Blythe without understanding the women that she came from. And so that was when kind of the backstory started to develop, which is basically the story of Blythe's mother and Blythe's grandmother and the challenges that they went through. And so that, and, and I was very much interested in that idea of inherited trauma and kind of what we carry from the woman, women before us and how much of that is kind of this maternal anxiety and how much of it is true, you know, in our, literally in our DNA in our genes. And so that, that really interested me. Although I should, I feel like I must disclaim this on every interview I do that my mother is nothing like the mothers in the book, nor is my grandmother. So I feel like I owe her the service. I, I had a feeling this was coming. I could, t- I could tell you were going up, g- g- going to that place. Yeah. I, I do not blame your mom. She is yeah. off the hook. Yeah. <laughs> you right. seem pretty normal from, you know, our little limited interaction. It's really funny because I didn't talk to my mom, my parents, or really anybody much when I was writing this book about what it was. It was such a sort of internal and living within me. And then when I realized that this was going to happen and the book was going to be published, I had to tell my mom what the book was about. (laughs) And she was like, oh, how interesting. You know, yeah, it was a bit, it was a lot for her to take in, but yes. Not. You know, it's interesting too, how at one point you have Blythe go to the support group for mothers whose kids have done sort of Hmm. unpardonable offenses, right? Because I always think about that when I hear about, you know, the mother of this shooter or the mother of this, like, how does that mother feel? Like, of course, the mothers of the victims, right? Yeah. You know, you do your best with your kids, right? And I think as parents, like, I know I've had moments where I'm like, oh my God, I cannot believe my child did that. Like, and then it, it reflects on me, it reflects on my parenting. What does it say? And then you wonder like you did sort of let's extrapolate and make this the biggest mess ever then what right <laughs> so funny i think that i always think that too i mean when you hear something in the news or see something that's happened i mean i always think of the parents and i always think you know if the if the biological parents were the people who raised them and were involved in their lives and i my mind always goes there to think also like what did the parents know about their child and did they ever suspect and did they ever think that something like that could happen did they did they believe the humans they were raising capable of that and if they did 
would they, did they say anything to anybody or would you say anything to anybody? And it kind of comes back to that question that I think I tried to explore in the book, which is like, ultimately, what do we owe our children? Like, what do we owe them? We, you know, in many cases, birth them and raise them. And, you know, what, what's our obligation in, in helping them to, you know, live in this world? I mean, it's, re- it's really interesting. I mean, a lot of it comes back to just the nature versus nurture argument, of course. But it almost goes further than that to just, you know, like, I don't know, just kind of asking yourself, like, what are the, what are the lengths that you would go to and what would be, it's, it's really more of an ethical debate. But yeah, it's funny that you say that because I, I, my mind always goes there too. There was just in the paper this week, and this episode will come out not this week, but now we're in, I don't even know what we are, November mm-hmm. pre-Thanksgiving. And there was just like on the New York Post, some man pushed a woman onto the subway and he had done so also in January. And the mother had said, don't let my child back out on the streets. And they did. And he did it again. And she's like, I told you. And it's her face in the paper being like, wow. you know, and he was adopted, not that that matters. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just like so on on. The theme we're talking about, not necessarily all the themes, but wait. So let's go back to the fact that you had a six-month-old son and decided to try to write a book at that point and that the book ended up becoming this, which is like a really, which is a good book, not like the, you know, tired musings of a completely stressed out new mother. Tell me about that undertaking and how you did it. Well, I think it did start as the tired musings of an overtired man. <laughs> it's gone through a lot since then. It's gone through a lot of revisions since then. But, you know, I think it's interesting. I had, I had always wanted to write and sort of couldn't, I, I just, I, I, I was writing. I was, you know, taking writing courses at night and writing on the weekends. And, but, you know, I had like another full-time job and career and, you know, I didn't, I couldn't afford to do like an MFA when I was, you know, in school or I honestly felt like I couldn't really afford to pursue writing for a lot of my life because I needed to, you know, go to university and work part-time to pay for that and then get a job that could pay the bills when I left. And writing just never seemed, never felt attainable to me, writing as a career. And so I just didn't pursue it that way. What, what, job, what kind of jobs did you have? Well, I worked in public relations. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, grownups. The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery. Perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishbowl podcast studio from the cat in the hat himself, and it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast, and those plans are the opposite of quiet. The cat may be disruptive, but it turns out he's also a great help to get fish out of all kinds of predicaments. Bursting with music, silliness, and rhymes, the cat in the hat cast encourages us all to find fun that is funny in every episode. 
So sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic Tongue Twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Wondery Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. And uh, like public relations agencies. And then after working in agencies for a while, I did move over to publishing and worked at Penguin Canada as a publicity director. So, so I was just really focused on that and writing when I could. And then even though, you know, I would have loved to, to, to just to be a writer full time or to consider myself that or be published. And so when I had Oscar, when I had my son, I realized I wasn't going to go back to work after that because I mentioned because he had these health challenges and life just felt different. And I just couldn't really see myself being able to balance both of those things. And then, and so it was around that six month mark where I feel like, you know, we weren't spending as much time in the hospital and I was home a bit more and we were lucky to have a bit of babysitting help through the week. And so I used those hours to write. And it's funny, you had another, an author on your show, Ruman Alam on, Mm -hmm. which was such a good interview. And I thought he put it just perfectly. He talked about when you have children, sometimes it can really clarify for you what you really want out of your life and who you want to be and kind of who you want to show up in as the world, in the world. Like, you know, who do you want to be for those children? Who do you want to be for yourself? Your time becomes so limited when you have kids. And I really started thinking about that limited time very differently. And I just thought I I need to do it now. Like this is when I need to pursue this because I, I, this is the time. And so, yes, I was, I was tired and exhausted and it's very hard to write during those months. And it is a privilege to have help with childcare. That is for sure. And if I didn't have help with childcare those few times a week, I wouldn't have been able to do that. I don't think, because that's really how it started was, you know, the, the, our, our babysitter would walk through the door and I would like run past her with my laptop under my arm, like running to the you know coffee shop on the corner, trying to get in as much as I could while she was here. So I, it wasn't easy. And I don't, I, I think, yeah, I think without help, it is very, very difficult. Um, so I, yeah, but I, that was just, and, and there was just so much on my mind then too. And it's funny, it's sort of, you know, a lot of writing advice you get is like, you know, write the story that's just burning inside you or that you just, you feel like only you can tell. And I, I did have a bit of that. I had this sort of creative energy around that time that I just felt compelled to do it. And I don't know. And looking back now, of course, I'm like, how, how did I, I don't know how I did that. Like that was, it seemed, I don't know. I don't know if I could, if everything were to happen all over again, if I could do it again, but it just felt like what I needed to do at that time if that makes sense. How can I even ask, how is your son? And this might be personal, but is he okay? He is. Thank you for asking. That's so kind. Yes. So he's still, he has a chronic illness, like a chronic condition. So he will have that, you know, forever, but, but it is very manageable now. And he is just thriving and is just like the most incredible five-year-old, almost six-year-old like yours. And so now it doesn't even feel, I mean, now those days feel so far behind us and things felt, you know, so much worse because we've just, he's doing so well and we've learned how to manage it. And so it's, it, it does get better. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And tell me, I know you said earlier, I can't remember if we were recording yet or not, that he was upset that I was always talking in your car radio about how moms don't have time to read books. So tell me about your like reading life. Are you reading a lot around the house? Like, do you have books everywhere? What's your like relationship to reading like these days? Or do you just not have the time? Yeah, we do. We read a lot in our house. I think we do. We do read a lot. My kids love books, which is great. I'm definitely a nighttime reader. I I have a hard time reading during the day, but I read every night. And I think that, and it's amazing how fast that can add up if you just commit to doing it 
at night. I love to read new releases. I love to read debuts. I love to read like whatever the newest book, which is probably why I love your podcast because you have so many like authors whose books are just coming out. So it's such a nice pairing with, with reading what's, what's publishing at the moment. But yeah, we do read a lot. And I think, you know, I think it's so true that, you know, your kids, you know, I, I always make sure my kids know how much I'm reading. And I, you know, even though I'm reading at night when they're asleep, like the books are piled on the bedside and we go to the library a lot and buy books a lot. And I feel like that, I, I hope that that kind of, my kids kind of grow up with that, but we'll see. we'll see. You know, it's so funny because I didn't set out to do books that were coming out now. In fact, mm-hmm. I remember at the very beginning when I was trying to get an author on my podcast, the response was, well, you know, so-and-so doesn't have a book coming out. Or like there, and I was like, so like it. It never occurred to me that that you had that authors would only be interested in doing publicity around new books, and so it's sort of like it's become this because that's what the authors need the most. But I never would have thought. Like I was like, oh, I'm gonna go into, you know, I'm gonna like work my way around my bookshelves, and, yeah, right? Yeah. But luckily, most of those authors end up coming out with new books. So then I'm like, oh, okay, let's talk about your new book. But really, I want to talk about 110 years ago. So yeah, it is funny that it's funny, isn't it? And I think now I would have thought that too. Now that I'm writing, I sort of get it a little more because it's hard to kind of talk about one book and be writing another book. Like you sort of have these two totally different worlds in your head. So I think yeah, I think a lot of it is people, you know, needing to kind of shut out the world and dig into the next project and you can't even let your mind go back to the other book, you know? So I feel like, yeah, maybe that's part of it, but it is funny. Yeah. But there's something fun about always, you know, wanting to dig into whatever's new and whatever's out. And it's, you know, I'm definitely a news junkie. And so I like, I love reading the book that everyone's talking about, the reviews are happening. And I just find that adds to the whole experience of reading for me. So there's some books though, like I know they're going to be big books, but like I know I wouldn't have bought it. Do you, like, I don't know. This is like my big thing. I'm always like, ah, oh, I was pitched that, but I didn't do it. My husband's always like, well, maybe you're passing on way too many books. I'm like, well, I just have to stay true to like the books I would want to read. And like, maybe it's going to win a huge prize, but like, I'm not sure I would want to read it. I don't know. I have to yeah. want to read it. I, I have to still have to want to read it. Exactly. I still have to speak to you in some not, way. Not that, not that I haven't read tons that don't go beyond my comfort zone. And I'm so grateful for them. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. If it's just a little too, I don't, I don't know. I don't even know why I'm talking about this. But, no, I know exactly um, what you mean. I know what you mean. Your books still have to speak to you. Even like you have to, I mean, I'm, I don't know, but you're, I, if I'm not enjoying a book, I will put it down. I will never force myself to finish a book because that's just not what reading is to me. Reading is just about being swept away and enjoying, you know, enjoying it, like enjoying every page and enjoying every minute that you're devoting to that book. And so if I'm not in love, I don't, I usually don't finish. <laughs> so I get it. I totally get it. You have to so it. as a big book lover, tell me about the thrill of the publication journey for you then from when you were starting to write it and then editing and then what happened? Tell me about what happened. Gosh, it was really crazy. It was a wild ride for sure. Yeah, it took, I mean, I worked on the book for about three years from that time I was talking about when I first started to get it to where I felt like it was maybe ready to kind of go out there in the world. And be, I, I think because I'd worked in publishing for a couple of years, although I was not on the editorial side, I was on the publicity side. I sort of, you know, I had a more of an, I think I had an idea of how kind of things worked and, you know, going to agents. And, but even though you have that knowledge, you still don't know what you have. And I hadn't shared it with that many people 
people. And so I, yeah, as, as I shared it with a few, had got a few more readers, I started getting more comfortable with going out there with it. And, and again, because I worked in publishing, I had, you know, like kept friendly with, um, it was Penguin Canada at the time. This was just before the Penguin Random House merger with the head of Penguin Canada, Nicole and Stanley. And she and I would meet, you know, a couple of times a year for tea or whatever, just to keep in touch. And I remember, so I met with her, this is at when I was just, you know, working on my query letters, getting ready to send it out to agents. And I met with her for tea and I was sort of, I was so anxious to meet with her because I, she didn't know that I was writing. I had never, when I worked there, I'd never talked about wanting to write a book or publish a book. And I didn't tell anybody that I used to work with that I was doing this because it just seemed, you know, like just such a dream, you know, pipe dream and was so interior living within me only. And so, but I, but I thought, okay, I should, I want to just get her advice on, on agents. Like I had this list of agents I wanted to go to and just would love her opinion on it. And so I sat down with her for tea and I said, Oh, I, you know, I have something to tell you. I'm feeling a little like, I'm nervous to tell you this, but, and she interrupted me and said, let me guess you've wrote a book. <laughs> I was like, oh, what is, yeah, was I that transparent? Like I thought I was, <laughs> I thought you would like never guess that I would do this, but so it was kind of funny, but she, you know, gave me some good advice and then it was sort of, out to agents. And from there, yeah, it was really a whirlwind and I, it was life-changing and I will never forget how that all felt to kind of even just the, you know, I, I will always remember and I will always save that sort of email back from my agent, Madeline Milburn. She's now my agent, but just her reaction to it. And just, you know, it's really incredible to see just, just this dream to see something that you've worked on for so long that you just don't know what it, if it will ever be anything. And then to have these people kind of take a bet on you and have this kind of reaction to your work is really, it's a very like magical thing. And I will just never forget it. And I, I don't take it for granted. And I, it's, it's, yeah, it was very, I feel very lucky to have had that experience. And then from there kind of very quickly sort of went out to publishers and went out into the world and yeah. And then and we're here. So it's, it was, it really was magical is kind of a funny word, but it just, that's just how it felt. It just felt kind of magical. Yeah. Kind of incredible. It's amazing. Are you working on anything else now? I am. I'm revising a second novel now. So, which has been a really fun process. The, the, the process of writing it has been very different than writing the first one, just because I, you know, life looks a little different now. I have two kids, but they're a little bit older and we're in a pandemic, obviously. So that's, another challenge. But yeah, so I've been working through that now and just kind of trying to, I mean, I'm so new at this still. So just kind of trying to figure out, I mean, I still am just trying to figure out how to write a book. This is the second one. So I, you know, just kind of working my way through it and yeah. but I'm Can you give a, a glimmer of a plot or not really? Or is it too early? If it's too early, don't worry. I don't want to jinx it or anything. I feel like it's, I feel like it's for the same readers of the push. I feel like it's, I feel like it's for, for those same kind of readers. It's family drama, it's emotional suspense, it's motherhood and friend, female friendships and marriage. Yeah. I'm really excited about it. Yeah. I'm enjoying writing it. That is like a combination that I would be like, yes, I'm, you know, sign me up, pre-sale, like pre-order. Okay. I, you sold me on that. That's good enough. I will definitely be reading that book. <laughs> Do you have any advice to aspiring authors? Well, after I just said, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I don't believe that at all. So scratch that and be honest. <laughs> I, I have advice, I think for new mothers for mother for new mothers who are writing because I think that's my experience that's kind of the, the the place where I can offer advice and I think it's sort of two-part advice and, and the first part is that um you know it's okay to ask for help to write your book specifically like it's so hard to ask for help 
period as a mother, as we know this, or as a parent, especially when your kids are super young, because you just have so much anxiety about other people caring for your kids and all of that. And, and something that I had to learn with the, with the first book when my, when my son was so little was that, you know, it was okay to, to ask my mom or have a babysitter or maybe obviously my husband, like whoever to, to say, I need help for two hours. And it's because I'm going to go write this book and kind of making that really a priority, like showing people that writing a book is a priority for you. And that writing is as important as the things that, you know, my husband got to go out to do, like go to work (laughs) where I was home. So kind of making it a priority, you know, committing that time and letting other people know about it, giving yourself permission to make that as important as doing the errands and going to the grocery store and everything else. So that, that was kind of my number one, but, but I think the part two to that advice is that, you know, everybody says so many, so many writers, accomplished writers say you have to write every day. And I really believe that when you have little kids, you cannot write every day and it's okay. (laughs) And I did not write every day. It took me longer to get this book done, but I could not write every day because I was exhausted and I was overwhelmed and babies get sick and things pop up. And some days I just did not have it in me, even if there was a blank slate, you know, for the rest of the day, some days I just could not rally to write. And so I think if you're a new mom, throw that advice out the window and just do your best. Just write when you can, when you can get those windows up help right during those windows of help. You know, something I could do every day, which I do recommend doing every day is think about the book. You can think about the book, even when you're not sitting down at your computer to write it. And so I would think about the book at the park or think about the book when I was walking or think about the book when I was bouncing the baby or whatever at night. Honey, I, I, I won't say which writer it is because I don't want to freak her out, but I live across the street from a Can- an accomplished Canadian writer, which is kind of funny. And, you know, she has no idea who I am. So I, as I said, I won't mention who she is, but I remember this was with my second and I was going through revisions on the push and she was at my second baby. She was such a bad sleeper and she was, she was up so much. It took me so long to get her to bed. And I remember like standing in the dark in you know, my house, like rocking her and bouncing her from like, you know, the witching hour until the wee hours of the morning and looking out across the street and seeing this other writer's office light on and just thinking, oh my God, she's in there writing. She's in there writing her next book and she's able to write for hours on end. And I would just sit there and bounce my daughter and think, I wish I had that. I wish I could do that. And it made me so anxious thinking that this woman across the street had all this time and I did not because I had this crying baby. And so I... And and it, and I so I couldn't write every day, but I could think about the book every day. I could make notes. I could come up with ideas. I could feel committed to the project every day in other ways. And so that is my best advice: is don't worry if you can't do it every day. By the way, some people find having too much time to be like a paralysis of sorts as well. I mean, if you just have like blank pages in front of you and endless amounts of time, I find it harder to get anything done than when I have like two seconds. And so writing is like an Instagram post. And I'm like, well, that's all I got. Like I haven't, I can't even remember last time I opened up pages or word on my computer. It's like anything I like quote unquote right now is in the body of an email or it's a, it's a post or it's something. And I'm like, well, you know what? It might not be this way forever, but this is what we got right now. Yeah. What you have at that time. Right. And like, look, go with it. we know being a mom is hard. And so that's just, you got to do what you, whatever you can get done. And so you can't live up to you know other people's expectations of what it looks like to write a book. Yeah. And whatever you're doing, because you look amazing. And I know I say that because like I'm particularly <laughs> disheveled, but you look so put together. Like you're like Kristen oh Bell, like on her way to the Oscars or something. And I'm just like, oh my God, with this great book. So I don't know, for all the drama from the outside, at least 
Aww. Looks like you have it made. So <laughs> that's very, very sweet. Thank you. So I'm really excited for you and I can't wait for this to come out in January. And I'm just so thrilled. I'm so thrilled for you. And thanks for our little intro pre-recording and and the conversation and the hours I got to spend with your novel, which were great. To be thank you. That means so much coming from you truly. So thank you so much. Okay. Well, thank you. Let's stay in touch. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much to today's sponsor, my bookshop.org and my Amazon influencer store. You can check out my Amazon store at amazon.com slash shop slash moms don't have time to read books and my bookshop.org store, which is bookshop.org slash shop slash Zibby Owens. And I hope that you will find every book that you are looking for. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.